You are listening to the Be About It podcast. What is up? You guys are in for a serious treat. This podcast is the culmination of two failed attempts at recording a podcast and a full year of a blossoming friendship. Today I sat down with my friend Mary Shenuda, also known as the Paleo Chef. She turned what was once a life-threatening illness into the catalyst for a successful business. She is known outside the kitchen as someone who holds others in this industry to a higher standard. She is someone who is proud to speak her mind, and she is someone who will deliver the utmost quality with whatever she does. While most may talk to her about her past and about food, we dive into what makes her business successful, where the food industry is headed, nutrition in different cultures, and how your emotions play into your digestive health. Please enjoy my friend, the fudge packer, Mary Shenuda. I really do like this. If nothing else, this new podcast format is just going to give me a fat Spotify library. This is dope. Alright, I'm adding this. It's officially got... I like the thing I've been tasting. Yeah. I like that a lot. Well, third time's a charm. We did it. We did it. We did it. But did we? We don't know yet. We'll find out at the end of this. So, what did we do so they understand what's happening? Yeah. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I'll do it anyway. Any, every good leader has those hiccups in the beginning, right? Yeah. So, the first time that we did this, we had the blue mic, which is a great microphone, but we did it in, I think it was your. Business center. Business center. And I picked up all of the air conditioning and it sounded horrible. And you said, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> and then the second time, and because of that, I bought this whole new elaborate system. So you're welcome. Thank you so much for it because it's pretty awesome. And I go, this is never going to happen to me again. <laughs> I am such a podcasting professional. Listen to it back. Only hear your voice. I didn't record both voices. Because we did it again on a completely different date Yeah, after the fact. Yeah. I'd like to think this adds to our relationship, though. 1,000%. It strengthens the relationship. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. And then I spend three to four hours trying to dub over it, guessing what I was saying to you to elicit whatever your response was. And I was like, sit- even sitting there doing like different inflections. Like You'd be like, oh, my God, no, that's ridiculous. And I'm sitting there like, what could I possibly said? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, maybe I'll say the keto diet is great. The keto diet is great. The keto diet, it's great. I probably we probably weren't even talking about the keto diet. No, we weren't. Because I'm we, just we go like I'm just in, talking about the inflection. Right, right, right. That I would go through. I would go through a, a myriad of emotions to try to elicit whatever you I were saying. I don't think you can voice over on a podcast. No. Especially with someone like me. 4 hours later I realized that. <laughs> 
very, very quickly. But what I like about it is I'm not going to ask anything I asked. Do you remember what you asked? Yeah. I don't remember what you asked. A lot of it was about your, your past and we your were history. Stra- we kind of strangers on the first time. Yeah. And then not so much strangers then. And now we know each other's secrets. We've broke bread together. We've drank together. I know that you do frog poison. What <laughs> What a world, you know? Remember it's when I said we know each other's secrets? Yeah. Is that a secret? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. I think stuff like that, and I'll just say it once now. I can cut this out. No, it's fine. Um, when I'm experimenting stuff medically, mm-hmm. I think that to share it too soon is reckless because yeah. you have a responsibility if you have anybody following the work that you do. Yeah, yeah. And because I'm doing that... Uh, once every three months as an experiment for Herbert, which I've talked about Herbert publicly. Um, I want to wait until I have more concrete results. Like I haven't even shared the results I shared with you earlier publicly mm. because I feel like until I can see that it's a consistent pattern, I don't want to share something too soon because I don't want someone to be like, oh, this is the way. And I'm like, well, that's like, uh, I am not a professional. I'm not a doctor. I'm yeah. just doing stuff for myself. Yeah, makes sense. I want to talk more about the business side of things. Which one? Your business in particular. <laughs> Just because I feel like we talked so much about the food piece of things and the nutritional side of things at the beginning. And what intrigues me more now is how you've started this massive business out of nothing. We're in the business of doing business, and this is a business. Do you know that movie? And business is booming. Do you know that movie? I don't. Richard Pryor, Brewster's Millions? I do know it now. Mm, it's a good one. It is. He's, he's great. He was great. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout your entire experience of building this multi-million dollar business, is it? That much? Yeah. Just seven figures. Oh yeah, gosh. Not multi. Um, Not yet. What have been some of the biggest learning experiences for you? Um. So b- building it as a solopreneur there's learning experiences there. And then as you know, over the summer I took funding and built out a team. So I'm learning a lot about being a boss, being a CEO. And those are all very challenging things to me because I've always been a soloist. It was tennis player, tech sales. When I tried to play team sports, they'd put me in more individual roles. So I just accepted that about myself. And, And now I'm responsible for a team and having to check in with the team. So I'm having a, a, having a little challenges around that kind of stuff. And I mentioned to you earlier that um, I was featured in an Inc. article about the mistakes you make as a manager. So one of the challenges that I'm having is that I'm such a perfectionist. And unfortunately, that's contagious. So my team has been very hesitant to make decisions because they want to do it right the first time so they don't, don't, don't disappoint me. And now it's on me as a leader to show them and teach them and empower them that perfectionism is the furthest thing from leadership. And so just because I'm being a perfectionist with my stuff, I, sh- I don't, they don't need to inherit that. And so I, I don't know the process yet, how to do that effectively. Cause you want to empower people around you, but you also have to teach people how to be empowered. And because that's something that was somewhat innate and also survival skill for me, I'm having to go backwards and dissect it and say, okay, what are the things that can be teachable from this so I can let my team know how to be empowered so they can, we can all crush it together. So that's one of the bigger challenges now having a legit team going from a founder to a CEO. That's going to be tough. Oh my God. That's so crazy. 
<laughs> What's well, we finally found something? Oh, shut up! When you <laughs> when you first started, what was the process to get your product to market? <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> It's there. Love it. I love it. Um, so for people that don't know the product, it's fat fudge. It's a ketogenic performance fudge, um, really based on getting your body to use fat as a fuel source versus sugar and carbohydrates. It's not just for keto people. I just like to focus on more of the high fat stuff. And it started out as a recipe for my clients, my professional athlete clients. I shared that recipe. That recipe went viral. And then the folks that are posting the recipes online in sandwich bags asked me to turn it into a product. So that process at that point, again, if I'm going backwards and dissecting it, is that for several years I was building value and building trust online as Mary the Paleo Chef. So nothing there is being monetized. I'm a private chef and that's how I make money, but I'm sharing that journey. And as you know, I share, people accuse me of being vulnerable. I just think I'm being honest, but I am sharing highs and lows. So, uh, and I don't do affiliate marketing. So they're like, if she talks about something for some reason, because she doesn't do affiliate marketing, we trust her more. So if she's going to put something out, we want to support her in some way. So when my audience was asking me to turn it into a product, I think the few things that I employed was one, seeing an opportunity. And then knowing that the timing of that opportunity, there's a window. And then following through on that opportunity. So I always say it's timing, luck, and follow through. That's what opportunities are to me. And employing focus and optimism have to intersect. So all that is in my head and I'm like, okay, they want a product. <laughs> we figure it out. Yeah. Started batching it in my apartment, bought an Amazon heat sealer for 60 bucks, got the, those plastic food saver things, cut them into what I would want the package to look like and just did it myself. Yeah. So I put up 50 orders on Instagram with a unicorn head on and said, there's 50 orders to 12 packs that equates to 600 packets. I don't know what I'm doing, but if you guys buy this and it sells out, I will hand pack them and, and ship them out to you this week. So in an hour that sold out. Wow. And it wasn't really so much to selling out, which definitely is cool, but it was the who was purchasing it. I didn't realize certain people had been following my work. And if I think back being in corporate America, I was the youngest by at least 10 years. And I ran off of one philosophy, which was don't fuck up. Yeah. Because when you are that much younger and I'm a high school dropout, so there's all these things playing in my head as to why I don't deserve to be in the room. And they only need one excuse to cut you from the team. And so I wanted to make sure I was going to deliver value back then. So when I saw those people that were following my work and buying this product that doesn't exist, that same thing happened where I was like, I can't fuck up. Yeah. Okay. We're going to just have to follow through. So every Monday I would do that. Which is such a double-edged sword, too. It is. It takes away your creative freedom, but at the same point, puts a little bit of a fire under your tush. It, for me, it, it and I actually have a post I'm waiting to put up around, um, is believing in yourself enough to succeed. Mm. I don't believe in myself. I expect from myself. Someone said to me, I don't believe in you. I expect from you. Because believing in you leaves room for error. You're the most consistently perfect woman I know. And I'm like, well, the standard just went up. Well, <laughs> shit. But if I expect from myself and I succeed, it's more like, of course I succeeded. Right. But it robs me from celebrating the hard work that goes into it. And that's a double-edged sword for me. Yeah. So every Monday, I would put up 50 orders and they would sell out and I'd hand pack them. You know, I still have the hand muscle for that. It was a ketchup bottle over a scale and stealing individually. And I would do that every Monday until it got to a point where it would sell out in under a second. 
and people would write in super angry, like, what is this, a Beyonce ticket? And I'm like, the recipe is public. If you want to make it yourself, I'm one human being. And so that's all elbow grease. So it took a lot of elbow grease, full humility, to be able to do that out of my apartment each week while also still being a private chef. And then sharing, like, when the tahini would arrive to my house, exploded. Or somebody once stole eight pounds of tahini off my doorstep. I still, to this day, want to know what they did yeah, with... What do you do with eight pounds of tahini? In my Delicious. world, you make fudge, but yeah. I don't know what someone else did. A whole Costco-sized pita chips. Yeah. It's a lot. So I would do, I would do um, that every, every Monday, and then it got to the point where I definitely needed to scale. And showing very transparently, I, you guys, I don't know what I'm doing. You want this to become a product that can scale. I found a co-packer. Minimums are super high. I don't want to take funding. I want to show you guys that you can build a business by making sales versus raising money first. I'm not going on Shark Tank, and I'm not doing Kickstarter. So if you want a good old fashioned- Were you approached to do Shark Tank? Yeah. I still get approached to do Shark Tank, but I also don't take that very seriously. I think they just like Google hot companies and send out those I do really like the show, though. Um, So, I mean- a couple of the sharks have had my product. That's awesome. Having access to the sharks without needing to be on a shark tank is pretty yeah. cool. Um, so I, I didn't want to do those things. And I said that in that post and in that email. These are things I don't want to do. So if you want a good old-fashioned, pre-order it. It might take me three months. might take me six months. You'll either have a refund or a product at your doorstep, and I will share everything it takes to turn a recipe into a consumer product. And within 30 days, $90,000 in pre-orders came in which I was not expecting. Did this kind of rock your world a little bit? Like, you're like, where is all this coming from? Um, you're like, you're in the zone, and you have this moment of like, holy shit, there's you something didn't here. Think that you're, you didn't think this path would happen. That did I'd be I mean, a fudge you? packer? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Fair. Never gets old. Fair. Um, n- no. But I also, I say this a lot, like I'm not defined by what I do, I'm defined by who I am and I'm really proud of the woman I've become. So whatever it is I choose to do, I'll be successful doing because I as an individual am successful because if I die today, am I proud of who I am? And if the answer is yes, I'm content. And I like to work on things that I find fun or interesting or move the needle or allow me to have the conversations I want to have. Like food obviously has healed me, but the root of it is more of the, pervasive stuff, getting people to, to think a certain way. And the only way I can get your attention for something that's pervasive is to make you sit across from me with a meal. Yeah. Like, I gotcha. Yeah. Now let's talk about the deep stuff. Right. So that's what Fat Fudge is for me. It's a gateway to be able to talk to people about paleo. You. Like, I want to know what's going on in your body, in your mind, in your ethos, and how can I be of value, which is stemmed from one of my insecurities. Like, how can I provide value into your life so I feel like I'm doing something of substance while I'm here? You were saying earlier how you feel that you might be a bit open and emotional for some people. And one of the things that you... And you agree. (laughs) You know, I'm an onion, girl. You got to peel me back layer by layer. And then I'll make you cry. Probably. (laughs) Um, One of the things that you were saying was that you're overly emotional and... um, open for a lot of people to handle. But one of the things that you've also taught me is that one of the largest nutrient deficiencies in people is that ability to open up and express emotion. Connection. And connection and human connection. Yeah. How does that affect your, whether it's nervous system, uh, nutritional tract, whatever it is, like how does the ability to do that 
help heal you nutritionally. So I do that because it's something that I'm lacking. And I push that because it's something that I'm lacking. And so noticing it with my clients and then having to be like, oh, these are things that I'm lacking is I notice my nervous system feels like white noise. And then I notice my digestive system isn't working the way it needs to work. And then I'll test neurotransmitters and hormones and unrelated to Herbert, like you'll notice the cortisol go up, things like that. And then um, I- Herbert is your brain tumor. Yeah. Pituitary adenoma. There we go. Yeah. And so- uh, when I noticed that in the past, I just thought that, oh, this is just who I am. I'm a really nervous person. Um, and now I know that if I've done that, that means I've spent too much time working and not connected. I haven't been around people. My friends live all far away. They're all spread out across the world. My family lives in another city. And I, I'm, my, my team is a remote team. So when I noticed that, now I know to like, I have a couple friends where I'm like, hey, I need a hug. You come over yeah. <laughs> and you'll notice your nervous system calm down and your food's better. My, my uncle makes a joke, super old school, doesn't believe in celiac disease. He's like, you know, have celiac, you unhappy when you eat. You'd be happy, no celiac. Yeah. <laughs> and while I find that to be factually incorrect, there is some truth to it. Too. Yeah. And so the most of the people that I cook for, we have some commonalities. We're working really hard. We're pursuing really big dreams. Some of it is in the tech world. Some of it's physical uh, goals as athletes. And we're all somewhat isolated. And we think we're connecting because we've got our cell phones. We've got our emails. Um, and we're not. We're fooling ourselves. Mm. Or sometimes when you are building something or you've achieved some great success, you do have a, a, a little sense of like distrust. You don't know who's around you for the right reasons. So you wall off even more. And uh, that can be super detrimental to one's health and detrimental to one's performance. And, then, and you know, if you're not open emotionally, li- you're likely not getting physical touch, which is like a huge part of human nature, that, that, that need for that, yeah. for survival. It's interesting you say that. You think about Italy, Greece, all these places in Europe where family and sitting and breaking bread and really spending time connecting to other people and laughing and having yeah. fun and they're the ones that are living the longest yeah and living the most fulfilled life and we're chasing cars and money and <laughs> and you, i mean you spend a lot of time i mean i'm a very physical person yeah. i like touching my friends hugging my friends and it takes a long time to find the people that are okay with receiving that because i mean there are a lot of friends that when i like go to embrace them or touch them they stiffen up and then i feel super sad and rejected and then i'm like scared to it's a horrible cycle. It's a crazy cycle. <laughs> um, and I get depressed around that. And yeah. I, I talked about this with a couple, I have a, uh, a few friends that live down the street that are great and they're grow, grow, grew up in an American culture. And I was expecting them how my relationship with my American friends is very different than my relationship with my European friends and love them both equally, but I feel more comfortable with my European friends because I don't feel like I have to hold anything back. I can, right. we can be very affectionate and like, I can feel everything calm down. Yeah. And I try to express that to my friends who might be stiffer emotionally or stiffer physically. I'm like, we're going to be friends. This is who I am. I really don't want to be smaller, be less of me. I will do my best to respect your boundaries, <laughs> but also can we hug? Yeah. Do you think some of this is a vicious cycle? that the food in Europe is less processed. It is much fresher and 
because of that, they feel better. They, you know what I mean? Like, and over here, our food is shit. And we're like and this. We're like this, and we're closed off. I mean, and then maybe that the the nutrient deficiencies that we're creating is creating an emotional deficiency, which is creating a behavioral deficiency cycle, 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 cycle. I never really thought of it that way, but I would think there is some truth to that because yeah. I do talk about if you're not eating the right way, you don't feel good, and if you don't feel good, you're not really making decisions about your life from a clear clear headspace, from a happy headspace. Yeah. You're making decisions from a like a deficit. So if you take it one step further to what you said, yeah, I think that would be a cycle. I don't know. Do you feel more connected and more open when you eat my food versus of course, obviously, fast food? obviously, one hundred percent. The I banging mean, liver, the banging liver was dare I say banging. Duh. Um, I I don't know that I've seen that many people eat liver and just be cool with it. The whole room ate liver and That's they were cool saying. with it. Everyone was down with it. So if you haven't tried liver, you need to. Can you explain why liver is so important? So liver is one of the more nutrient-dense foods. I don't like calling things superfoods, but it's dense yeah. in nutrients. It really helps support our, our immune system and our hormone system. If um, if you So the way I explain it is that, that people think paleo is really meat-centric, and I'm like, that's false. It's nutrients, nutrient-centric, in my opinion. And if you eat something like liver once or twice a week, you get all the nutrients you need, and then you actually don't need as much muscle meat or food in general. I don't want to make this seem like you eat, you eat liver and then you don't eat any food. Yeah. But it's, it's just a cycle of order of importance. So if you think about animals in the wild kingdom, they usually eat the organ meat and leave everything else. Other organs are really valuable. It's usually harder to get somebody to eat other organs, so I start with liver. Yeah. Um, but for women especially, it's really important for your hormones, and I call it nature's Red Bull. So if you get liver in your diet, you usually notice a, a boost in your energy level and a boost in your clarity. And you need very little per week to, to feel good. And then if people don't want to eat liver, there is those capsules from yeah. proteins that I recommend. And over the summer, you know, I was, I was slanging out liver capsules to everyone. And there were some really cool stories that came back. Someone would come back three weeks later and be like, I had my period for the first time in a year. Whoa. And all I did different was the liver. Someone came back and was like, my skin is clearing up for the first time in yeah. a long time. And all I did li- differently was the liver and the collagen. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, there's, Shocker. there's something too. <laughs> what <Shocker>. I do. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's really, really cool. Is then liver really good? I mean, obviously you're saying it for everybody, but especially for maybe people that want to eat predominantly vegetarian diets to supplement with, hey, whatever their reasoning for it is, hey, I'll take a beef liver capsule once a week or something. And now I'm getting nutrients that I wouldn't normally get because I decided to go plant-based. So, and I think you know this, I had a couple of vegan clients that I'm cooking for, and I don't ever push that agenda on anyone. I'm going to do pegan, you call it, paleo-vegan for those folks. And they weren't eating healthy before, so they obviously had a a shift in their body, but they know that I talk about liver a lot. Uh, And both of them separately had come to me and said, you know, my body has changed, and I find myself, oddly enough, craving this thing I've never had that you're talking about. And I'm like, I need to sign a waiver (laughs) (laughs) that I did not force you to do this. And they tried what liver. What a jump, too. It's not like a chicken nugget. <laughs> no, it's like it's, I'm going straight for organ It's really meat. impressive. And both of them were somewhat reluctant to say, like, I hate to admit that I feel better. Right. Um, and one of them was, you know, animal rights 
focused and the other one was more of I, I just want to stay away from it yeah. and both of them now are still vegetarian and they just supplement once a month with liver and I want to say yes to that question but there are some people that are full plant based and they do great that's yeah. why again I believe in paleo do what works for you yeah. but the the average person who's eating a, a regular regular diet they're probably not getting enough of the dense nutrients especially if they're just eating an American diet so I mean I'd want I want to say everybody put liver in your diet, but I'm like actually everyone stop eating like shit first, yeah, and then put liver in your diet. Yeah, and it's I've met so many people that are like I'm gonna go vegan because I'm automatically gonna be healthy, and it's like there are ways that you can be very unhappy and very unhealthy. Dude, vegan food is not good. Like when I go out to restaurants with my friends who are vegans, and I look at they're vegan substitute to things. There's so many random ingredients in yeah. them. I'm like, what is this? This is just junk food. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to go. We're not going to go there. No, Let's no, go no. somewhere happy. Respect. Let's go somewhere happy. Respect to your choices. Uh, who are some of your favorite chefs right now? Uh, Josiah Citrine. You know, charcoal. Mm. You've been there. had pop up there. That place. Um, he also Ooh. has Melise which is a pinky up fancier white tablecloth restaurant. Yeah. And he just took over the restaurant at the line hotel. It's called open air and the menu looks gorgeous. What about the menu? Like what, what do you look for when you go out to look at menus? I, so my favorite menus are menus that maintain the integrity of the individual ingredients. I really like seeing the ingredients that are in the dish and having just a, f- a handful of spices to elevate what's happening, not really a substitute of something else. Because I can't eat gluten, dairy, soy, grains, legumes. Yeah. So I am limited and I, I want to experience something. And I think a lot of those things mirror Mediterranean food, which is what I grew up eating. So I look for things like that. And then I like to go out of my way and learn about the chef because I want to know the intention that's going into the food. And like Josiah just has a great demeanor about him. Local, goes out surfing, then goes to the restaurant. And he's... Melissa has been open for 20 years. This guy is legit, but he's the chillest person. Like, let me do the pop-up and then took one of the menu items and put on the menu permanently. And I'm like, yeah. this is so cool. How was that? The pop-up? Yeah. Well, you weren't there. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it was great. We were supposed to sell 50 tickets. We seated 60. Yeah. And I did a Mediterranean-style brunch. So we did shukshuka. And then I did hibiscus fried chicken with a grain-free waffle. So mm. low-carb. Uh, cashew hummus and then that that uh, rosemary pomegranate hibiscus drink that you tried my goodness it was fun it was a lot of fun yeah did you guys play music too like I'm always I'm always of the vibe of like you mean blast, Tupac yeah blast some rap R&B while you do it especially if a pop up like I feel like pop up's such a young yeah. like fun vibe they named I mean they named the drink All Eyes on Me yeah that's dope that is dope I need to play that yeah. next. So the pop-up was great. I, I do them like once a year, if that. And so there's always a good turnout when that happens. And I yeah. do them with chefs and restaurants. So it was Joseph that was the, the lead chef on this. He's also, he won the LA Young Gun Award last Ooh. year. He's super badass too. Um, I do it with chefs who, super humble, crazy talented, my imposter syndrome. Like I don't deserve to be in the room with them because they did the culinary route. And uh, they're so understanding of my limitations as a private chef and so supportive of helping me scale my, my menu to be able to bring it to the masses. Is there anything you would have done differently? No, it was, what was really cool about this particular pop-up was there were a few food critics that are friends of mine, food writers that um, had been to pop-ups previously. Yeah. So earlier in my career 
And one took me, well, one was like, I've had shakshuka before and this is different. What did you do? And I'm like, mm, it's the cinnamon and the cloves. I'm so glad you noticed. Is that what it is? Yeah. Because I will say breakfast food, shakshuka is my favorite food. And mine will be different. Top, top notch. I have to make you some. Um, and mine is a little bit different. And I was yeah. so happy that he noticed that. And then the other one took me aside and said, you know, um, it really seems like this pop-up, you've come into your own. You're super chill. Uh everything gets smooth, like you, you really have come into the place you're in your life right now. And I hadn't noticed that. And as soon as he said that, I realized I was, I was like sitting all kind of chill with my hands down, my little apron. And I was like, God, yeah, so I am. So maybe you're not as bad a leader as you think you are. Cause you have a team around you that's doing great stuff and you're able to sit there and take it in without realizing that you're taking it in. Well, I mean, when it comes to pop-ups, I have massive support from the, the restaurant team. Yeah. Um, I think right now I'm not ready to not be my own worst critic. So we'll just leave it, leave it there. Fair. Yeah. Very fair. Yeah. It makes next? me uncomfortable when you're like, you're a good leader. I'm like, oh, I don't think so. But that's, I think that's what makes people great, right? As soon as you sit there and start drinking your own Kool-Aid, it's probably going to go downhill, <laughs> I would assume. Remain skeptical is usually Yeah. Which is crazy because I also believe that if you have to make an assumption about the outcome of your risk, you might as well assume it'll be brilliant. I like that. Yeah. But then I'm also like, remain skeptical. Maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I won't. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What's next for you? Well, like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Because you know I have Paleo Chef and Fat Fudge and... Mm-hmm. Any know. new projects? What are we working on? Any new dishes that you're trying that no one's ever tasted before? Um... Well, dish is always based on my mood, so I don't know what my mood will be like tomorrow when I cook. Yeah. Um, Fat Fudge is expanding, so we have the the Four Sigmatic collaboration where I'm going to use their mushroom extracts on the next version of Fat Fudge. Because so we cool. have spicy right now and the original, and trying to expand into uh, bigger retail locations. So when it comes to businesses, and I learned this from my one of my lead investors, is you look for your your three standard deviations that would push the needle from where you are now to like extraordinary success. Right. And so I'm spending a lot of time identifying what those three standard deviations would be. What are the three things that need to happen in the next six months to really catapult work from where I am right now? And so I'm focusing on getting this new skew out, which is going to be very different from the first new skews or the first two skews, um, identifying another major retailer and doing whatever it takes to get in there. If you are a buyer for a retail, listen to this <laughs> podcast, please. Holla. Holla. <laughs> um, and then uh, experimenting with, you know, I'm going from fat fudge to fat sticks, fat bars. Oh. Those are being formulated right now. So Like a Kit Kat bar. I miss of, Kit Kats. They're delicious. I miss they're so, so much. Oh, they're so good. Of fat fudge. Yeah. 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 So, so expanding the line, really pushing the limitations of, my creativity um, and, and identifying when is it time to raise more money? Yeah. Because I've always, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bootstrap it. I'm going to do whatever I can, whatever I have. And that story does not serve me anymore. What is the process of raising money for a business? Um, I don't know for other businesses. Yeah. For myself, it's been a little bit different because when I came to take funding, I was getting phone calls because I had done it solo and transparently for the first two years, I built it to seven figures as one employee. Obviously I had a manufacturer and a fulfillment center, but if you called to ask for sales, hello, it's Mary. Yeah. Hey, can I speak to somebody in marketing? We don't have a marketing department because <laughs> I was all organic. Hey, it's Mary. <laughs> Let me transfer you one second. Boop, 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 boop. Hey, it's Mary. How are you? <laughs> um, and I did that so transparently that 
people were calling to invest and I was saying, no, thank you. And then when I was ready to take funding, it was more of, let me interview these investors and find out who's qualified to write a check. Oh. And so my first round of investment, I didn't have a deck. I just emailed my numbers to the people that were in my, my final draft yeah. and uh, asked them another series of questions, spent some time with them, gave them homework. I said, look, aside from money, this is what I would expect from you every quarter. Can you deliver on these things? And, uh, and so I got to choose my, my first team, which is, I will never take that for granted. My attorneys was like, I've never seen a round go this smoothly. Like, it's awesome. Again, not going to take that for granted. Yeah. So coming up with like looking for more serious money, it's making sure that the valuation of the company is moving in the right direction. Uh, Cause you don't want to have a down valuation when you raise money having a deck this time. Mm. Novel <laughs> um, idea. <laughs> uh, and m- making sure that uh, it's the right time, not too soon, not too late. So seeing where I am with inventory, you don't yeah. want to, I had challenges in the first two years, always running out of inventory, which is a good problem, but also a terrible, terrible thing to have happen. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So I'll be learning as I go, which has been the, the theme of my life. I think that's what anyone's doing. We don't know what we're doing. Yeah. And but listen to me. <laughs> yeah, listen to me. I have no idea what I'm saying to you right now. But trust, I'm figuring it out. Trust me. I'm an internet stranger. <laughs> yeah. I, I know, where do you go? I don't know. I know where I went. I was thinking about something I was, I was thinking about earlier. <laughs> Wait, I need to recover. I don't even know where I was. I don't even know where our thoughts were. But basically what happened was is I was talking to them and they were complaining about a lot of things going on in their life. And I told him the common saying that food is the most abused anxiety drug and exercise is the most underutilized antidepressant. Okay. Right? Yep. My question is, why do you think we haven't adopted more of how food can help your mood, mm-hmm. um, illnesses, right? There's so many different spices right. and um, oils that you can use to be able to help, whether it's depression, cancer, right. different things. Why do you think we're not exploring this more? Um, I think I have two answers from, in my opinion. Uh, one, it's surprising to me how many people don't know about spices. They just grow up salt, pepper, salt, pepper. So it's just a lack of understanding, a lack of playing in the kitchen and, and taste and then being able to learn about what these spices do. But I think ultimately, and I experienced this, you know, doing events and trying to get budgets for nutrition-based things is it's not sexy to other people. It's not like, look at this awesome workout. And the results for nutrition are slower. It's not immediate. So it's not as sexy and it's very much an afterthought. And it only becomes front of mind when you're at the elite level and you are now having to listen to people around you telling you this is important. And it's one of my biggest gripes especially when I'm working on a lot of projects that I am where I get the smallest budget, but I'm like, do you understand that food is the foundation of everything else that we're doing? And when I'm observing it from the outside, I'm like, I get it. It's just not as sexy as everything else. Um, And I don't, I'm trying to work on making it more fun and more sexy and more approachable and less about perfectionism and, and more about, I don't know, joy. I don't know. Would you disagree? I've, no, not knowing, at all. Knowing I mean, the struggles that I've had with trying to get this more on the forefront. Yeah. I think 
that makes a lot of sense. I'm surprised that medically they're not doing more to, I feel like so much of what our research is doing now is just backing up the stuff that ancient Asia and Eastern medicine is created. And now they're saying like, Oh, meditation, we can actually quantify through EEG leads that your theta levels do this and your beta levels do that. Fasting is part of every religion. Huge, right? I said it, we talked about it in the last podcast that the only reason people used to think that breakfast was so important is the sugar companies paid off the scientists to tell people that while I don't disagree that breakfast could be important, but you still need a fasting window because you know, X, Y, Z hormones, testosterone, all that like stuff. Like when people ask me about intermittent fasting, like, oh, when did you start intermittent fasting? I'm like, I've been fasting since I was a child because it's part of our religious practice. Yeah. And you fast to spend more time in your body and in your spirituality. And now it, before I would get made fun of for doing that, but now that it's intermittent fasting, it's super sexy. And I'm yeah. like, okay, so if I use that process, how do I make other things with nutrition super sexy? without selling out and feeling like a total marketer. Yeah, and it's interesting that so many people are like, well, I, it's 12.01, so I've missed my window. I, <laughs> I have to start tomorrow. It's like people are like, they, we, need, we crave this structure, yeah. this, abs, this, this world of absolutes where it has to be this, it has to be that. Is the keto diet right for me? Is the paleo diet right for and me? And what's Is your answer? The, it depends. Boom, man. I saw the post. Shit, it <laughs> effing depends. And it not only depends on who you are, but it depends on the month, the year, yeah. like your emotional levels, yeah. like literally even within yourself, it depends. Yep. And it just blows my mind that all the research we're doing is now making us go way back to the simple times and we're starting to quantify the meditational piece, the emotional piece, hopefully at some point. these I, In my mind, I literally imagine... One spice lord from each different <laughs> cuisine <laughs> being like, these are the spices that we've found to cure all of these things. And like, it's like, that's the Asian person. And then like the Greek person's like, well, these are the spices we've found to do this. And then, you a, know what I mean? A lot the of the things I supplement like, with my clients who after like three or four years, they're like, I swear by this now. And yeah. I hadn't heard it before. I'm like, there are things that I've had a, as a child that I thought were popular. And then I researched and they're all from ancient Egypt. Like the nigella seeds. That, What's that? Uh, it's black seeds and it secretes an oil. And in ancient Egypt, it was written that it would cure everything but death. <laughs> that thing is an overstatement. Yeah, that's However, question. it's very good for your immune system. Uh, people are using to treat Lyme disease symptoms. It's really good for your hair and your skin. And a lot of my clients use it for their immune system. Yeah. I've been having a tablespoon of that or preserving lemons with it since I was a kid. I thought it was normal. And then when I did research being the paleo chef now, I'm like, oh my God, this stuff's like, this is powerful. Or we have a drink in Egypt called Karaka Day. It's really, really uh, concentrated hibiscus tea. Do you research on it? We drink, we're drinking it all the time. It calms your um, nervous system, helps lower your blood pressure. Ancient Egypt. I'm like, this is so cool. Um, Morcheya, which is a really rich antioxidant soup, part of my diet. And like, I'm like, all these things are part of my lineage. Now, I, and you know this, I always separate myself when people want to call me a nutritionist. I'm like, I am not a nutritionist. Right. I am a chef. I do a lot of things intuitively with food. I've had a lot more experience with a lot more ingredients which seems like I'm like into nutrition in the way of science form, but I usually will work with a client. We get their test results. I talk to them. It's going to sound woo-woo-y, but I'm like, this is what I'm feeling they're going to need, put together the plan. Then I go to their nutritionist and their doctor, and I go, this is what I'm thinking in terms of ingredients, 
and this is what I know the ingredients do based on my research. And every single time they're like, how did you just know this? I'm like, I don't have an answer for you. But I do. I think I do. <laughs> I really do. I think it's because you live in the kitchen. You don't live in a book. Possibly. Right? There are so many strength coaches out there that hide behind the books and the certifications and everything. And they don't spend any time in the gym with their athletes. That makes sense. Right? And there are plenty of times that I've written out workouts that I know scientifically are perfect. And we get into the gym and it is dog shit. It is horrible. It doesn't flow. They're tired. I'm not getting the response that I want to get. And then there are times that I go, are you feeling today, man? And you tell me how you're feeling and I go, all right, I think we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And it is spot on perfect. Right. And nothing in this world can supplement just years of experience. I mean, I'll take that to the bank. Thank you. I'll yeah. be like, I have experience in the kitchen. Run Screw your book. Yeah. To a point. I mean, <laughs> not, not completely. Like, don't get me wrong, guys. You need certifications. You need to tell it. Like, you need to be smart. But that's why I, I, I want to shy away from ever being a nutritionist because I feel like there's a saying, don't teach a designer how to sew. Because then the designer knows limitations of the sewing machine. And I kind of, I don't. Like, You're a you, dreamer. You've asked me this. You've asked me this. Do you, do you think that you'll ever go to nutrition school? Yeah. And I'm like, that's, I don't, I don't want to be coming at it always from the science perspective. So, and I feel like if the, if it's I go down art. that route, it's going to do that. I, at this point I've worked with thousands of people, which is, or I know it's a really big number, but it's not a joke after the summer that we had. And a lot of those things were based off me talking to the person and assessing what do they look like? Like what's their skin like? What's their nervous system like? What are they telling me? And then I'll go look at my array of spices and the experience I've had with them. And we go, okay, this is what I think you need. And then they come back and they're like, you were right. And I'm like, okay, now let's go figure out why I was right. <laughs> like, Maybe I'm ignorant to this. Probably. It, are there this team of Avengers of different cuisines <laughs> of spices, like talking to each other? Like, is there a black market area of just like a Thai woman speaking to a Greek man who's talking through a Spanish person and they're like all just concocting together like witches in a in a cauldron I think we should figure I think we should create one if there isn't right Um, it just seems so it seems so logical to me to bring all these cultures together and say what are your spices doing for you what are your spices doing for you let's figure this out that's a book idea I think it'd be so cool. Book agent, if you're listening to this. Yeah, come get some. This is what we're doing. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, that that would be, that's really powerful. Because I, I love talking to my friends who are immigrants and being like, okay, what were the spices? Because there's always overlap to spices. Yeah. I'm like, okay, how are they using it? I'm like, oh, that's so cool. It's similar to what we did a little bit differently. How do we combine them? And that's kind of how my, my dishes definitely have a Mediterranean base, but I infuse knowledge from the people around me to, to make it a little bit different. And it's really important how spices interact with each other and how they interact with proteins and fats. Like fat fudge has all these great ingredients together. It's something else. Yeah. And I did that intuitively. And then there are people coming back to me with like backing it up with like science behind why then also their own medical results are like, look at the only thing I did different was your fat fudge. Look what's happening. I'm like, cool. I'm not going to claim that because again, I'm not a nutritionist, but I didn't realize that is what it does. And, and, See, that's what would be so cool to me. Like, here's my shakshuka. All this stuff is going on. It does this, this, and this. I wish it had this little extra piece, but I don't know. And, and then, like, someone comes out and goes, try Chinese five spice. Yeah, yeah. Go, oh, my God. I figured it out. That's the stuff that I find really fun. 
And I mean, you can even notice like I light up when I talk about yeah. that stuff versus the the super sciencey stuff. I like knowing enough of the science to validate what I'm doing, but I would want to stay more into the the EQ side of things. That's where I'm great at. And I don't want to take that talent away because I am able to work with and help a lot of people. I think there's plenty of people out there that are on the IQ side of things. I don't think we have enough EQ people. Thank you. I appreciate you. I got you, girl. I appreciate you. (laughs) Um, Where do you think culturally is the next nutritional wave? Right? We had... Give me an example. We had fat-free for the longest time. Yep. And now we're, we love fat. Yep. And then intermittent fasting became huge. Yep. Paleo became massive. Keto is huge. Yep. The carnivore diet is blowing up. Yep. What's the next? Gut health, fermented foods. Yeah, yeah. That's, so the, I was at the last expo uh, and then just looking at what's trending as far as like, I know what ingredients are being bought from like a co-packing perspective. Probiotics, fermented foods, uh, more hard to find leaves like moringa is, is having a day i think it's gonna become more popular like the baruca nuts so like those things from deep in the forest um, it just goes back to everything we're getting back to primal yeah yeah it's like cyclical almost yeah and, and i think like when i went to the expo everywhere you turned there was either collagen cbd or um fermented food fermented sipping drinks too okay let me flip it Anything we know to be true right now that you think we're going to prove incorrect in the future? A lot. Everything. Everything. Because <laughs> it all depends. Everything. It all depends. It depends. Yeah. Great answer. <laughs> um, people, I mean, anybody that's, that's, you know, all in on any one diet, I think they're going to find out they're, they're wrong. Because, yeah, yeah, it might be working for you. It's not going to work for everyone else. And it might not work for you in six months. That's not my whole joke with I don't believe in paleo. I believe in paleo. Yeah. Um, the thing standing out, is there anything that, that you think, like, hey, I really think this is the, the will and the way, and, and, but I also think that it might be bullshit in two, or five, two to five years? Not me, but I know plenty of people that say, like, hey, we used to think fat-free was the move. Now we love fat. Like, when are we going to make up our mind? You know what I mean? And that's, fat's just obviously one piece of, right. piece of the puzzle. But it, it brings up a good point where it's saying science up till that point told yeah. us that fat was the bad, bad, bad guy. And like yeah. I said, obviously science was manipulated by the sugar companies. Right. But also, like, there are so many conspiracies going on in this world that I can't keep up. <laughs> so I don't really know. Right. Um, what do I, I... The thing with fat is, like, strict keto, I don't think is effective long-term for anyone. I think strict keto is great if you're treating something, but the people who like freak out over every gram of sugar and every gram of carbs, I'm like, you're defeating, the, the point is for you to feel better and perform better. Your point is not to stay in ketosis. And I think people want to like stay low carb, stay in ketosis at the detriment and the sacrifice of actually feeling good. Yeah. And so I think... And I think that we've known this forever for, with anything. It's like you're trying to be too strict and too rigid in any one thing. You're going to soon find that that is not the way. Um, and I'm high fat, low carb. And when people want to talk strict keto, I'm like, Get out go talk to somebody else that, that is really into it because I'm probably going to want to convince you to, to come away from it. Yeah. Statistically, probably isn't good for that person unless we know we're treating something specifically. That makes sense. I dig that. I like that. 
What do you think of keto? Um, I think that for some people, more restrictive diets work. I think some people really need those guidelines and they need to just be set in a box and they, they can't have that freedom because their willpower just doesn't allow them to have freedom. So again, I go back to it depends. It depends. <laughs> what so do you think, think of hacking everything? <clears throat> Everyone's into, I want to work out for three minutes. Right. I want to only eat this one thing that's going to do X and Y and Z. Cause you know, I'm like, I'm anti-hacking. I'm like the things right. that matter in life cannot be hacked. I think that it depends on what your goal is. Depends. It uh, absolutely. I know. I keep saying it, and I apologize that I keep saying it. But Don't it's apologize. So, it's so fucking true. The problem is with biohacking is you get to a point where you're working smart, but you're not also working hard. And where is the line that we draw in the sand? Mm-hmm. Where it's yes, I'm working out hard, but it's not just to provide a anabolic stress to my muscles. It's to teach me what it means to work hard, what it means to persevere, what it means to sweat how I can get out my emotional stress because you're not getting your emotional stress out in a five-minute cryotherapy session. So you think we're being lazy? I think it's being lazy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I really, really do. You know, um, back in the day, man, they worked their ass off. We don't do that anymore. Like everyone, we're in such a world of instant gratification. And I'm... I'm right there with it, right? And how do you think that affects our psychology with ourselves and our psychology with other people and our relationships and going back to this lack of connection? Right. Because we're hacking everything and wanting to shortcut it. I, 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 the thing that I struggled with for such a long time is I was, a, I was fortunate enough to be really good at a lot of things. And if I didn't achieve something very quickly, I would Flipping say- you off in my mind. I would say, <laughs> I fuck this, I'm out. And I would go to something else. Yeah. And that's why I have this guy on my wrist right now, which has all in. Because- now what I'm doing, I want to be all in on it. And whether I, whether, whether I go through a storm or not, I'm going to go through the other side. And I don't think enough people have that, that reach where they're just saying, like, whatever fucking happens, I'm coming out the other side. And that's where everyone that's successful, the only thing that happened is they worked their ass off, worked their ass off, right. worked their ass off. Some opportunity came along yeah. way down the line. It takes a long time to get to just the beginning. And being willing is yeah. far more powerful than being ready. And like everyone you talk to, they're like, damn, they were a success overnight. And you're like, bitch, that was not overnight. <laughs> that was 15 years in the making to get that one opportunity yeah. that I was then ready for. Yeah. Right? I got one opportunity and I was ready for that opportunity. There's people that, that, that saying that says, don't worry. Don't think about what will go wrong. Think about what will go right. And I take it one step further. Like, don't worry about what might go wrong. Make sure you're doing all the preparation for when it goes right. Right. Because what if it goes right and you haven't been practicing? You're fucked. And I'm like, you just wasted that opportunity. You know what people would do to have that opportunity? And that could be the one shot you get. It really could be the one shot you get. You never know. You could have spent 15 years to get to this one spot. And you blow it. Or you don't. Yeah. Or or maybe you have another opportunity in some other way. I don't want this to be anti-inspirational. But it's not. But like the, you messed up your one shot, <laughs> you're done. But it's the same point. It's just like stay stay woke. Yeah. Stay sharp. <laughs> stay woke. You know <laughs> what I mean? I get it. I like it. I dig it. Uh, but back to keto. Uh, <laughs> or anything that's too too strict that might too be strict. disproven. For I most mean, for most people, I don't like it because if they go off the rail at all, they're done. Yeah. Right. I think there are the people that need it. And then for the most part, I think there are people that they have to have that leniency. And when you go off the rails, then you lose all compassion for yourself. And then 
it really goes south. And then you're like, well, tomorrow I'll start, so today I'm just going to binge eat. I can see you fuming. Because <laughs> it's true, right? It's just, it's, it's, I know it's related to some level of self-esteem that, that they have to, to work on in some way. I don't, I don't know. I just, as you know, I'm really into mortality and, and taking advantage of the time that you have here and wanting to make sure the time you have here is of high value. And, and I'm saying this as someone who struggles with self-worth issues. Um, just don't, there's so many challenges in life. Why are you going to be one of them yeah. for yourself? Don't be your own roadblock. It is hard when you feel like you're going to falter. Have somebody who's a lifeline that you can at least reach out to. Um, I talked about last night the video journals. Yeah. I think that would be really powerful. Someone who feels like they might fall off the rails is do a video journal to yourself. I do this because I don't have a lot of friends. <laughs> I don't have a lot of people around me, so I don't always have a chance to chat it out with people. So I started doing this with myself. And I think it's a tennis mentality. In tennis, and you know this, no one can talk to you during the match. Mm. Your coach, nobody. It's you. You are your own coach. You speak to yourself. And so I started doing this, this video journal when I'm struggling with something. So it may not be something like related to food and falling off the rails, but I have my self-worth stuff. I have my, my fears around success and failure. I have some of my PTSD that comes up. And so when I feel like I might go off the rails, so to speak, I'll, I'll do a video journal where I'm looking at myself and speaking to myself. And I do it this way because if I'm typing on my computer, I can go back and edit a sentence and be like, oh, I want to sound more eloquent or I want to hide from this. So when you are forced to play it back and watch it, you have to listen to yourself as though you're listening to a friend. And you have far more compassion for somebody else than you do for yourself normally. Yeah. So you can call bullshit on yourself. I see what word I struggle to say. I see my facial expressions. Like I can't lie to myself. And I'm like, oh crap, that person, person needs some help. Yeah. And I'll talk it out to the end. And and you know, and as I'm watching it, I'll take notes, and I'll take some notes that feel more like lessons. Like these are the lessons I want to extract. This is the advice I would give this person I'm listening to. And then I'll meditate on not literally meditate like I'll I'll simmer <laughs> chef jokes <laughs> I'll simmer on those lessons for a week a month whatever and then I'll re-record that initial topic from the perspective of the lesson plan I gave myself and then I'll watch that and it comes across more powerful with the lesson plan more ingrained I learned later that that has the potential to like chemically rewrite your brain um to help me overcome a moment where like I might fall off the rails. And so do you have a specific food that you go back to when you are feeling like that? Um, for me, it's an emotion. I, 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 for it's not related for food for me, Yeah, but I'm trying to figure out how to, to relate it to someone who might go to food. Mm. For me, I just get really dark, really depressed. It's not good. I won't leave my house for weeks and being a CEO now, you need to do that. You can't <laughs> stay locked up. Yeah. Um, and so I did have some clients who struggle with food and they, they binge eat. And I'm like, hey, try this video exercise. It's what I do for myself. And, and they find it effective. Yeah. Um, do you find exercise helps you? Yes, but I'm injured now. So I'm almost forced to, to, right. to sit with it. Right. Beck was here the other day helping me do um, some just mobility work. We're yeah. trying to activate my glutes yeah. and I'm, I can only do really basic stuff. And she's laughing at me cause I'm doing the thing with my foot. And then I start humming and she's like, are you bored? And I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she starts laughing. She's like, I totally feel you. Like when you can't move the way you want to move. It's not the sexy stuff, but it, it gets to, it leads you to the sexy but stuff. But it's, it's important to do. Yeah. So working out, yes, it helps not being able to work out is a bummer, but it is forcing me to deal with stuff that maybe 
I would think I'm working through because I'm working out, but I might be also denying because yeah. I'm working out. Everything happens for you, mm. not to you. Nice. I like that. <laughs> Actually, I hate that. I hate kidding. that too. Um, I feel like you to answer this question very well. I was listening to Lewis Howe's podcast the other day, and um, he asked someone a question that I, I think would be perfect for you. When it's all said and done and you leave this beautiful planet, but you have to take all of your Instagram posts with you. You have to take all of your self-help videos. Everything goes away with you. You can leave one lesson, I guess, that you want to leave or impart on other people that you know. Mm-hmm. What would that be? The only place, the only place where power and peace can coexist is within compassion. And people forget compassion a lot. And they also forget that if you don't have compassion for yourself, compassion is therefore incomplete. And I think about what's going on in the world, what's happened in my life, what's happened in the lives of people around me. And I gravitate towards power and I also want to be be at peace. And I realize that the only place that you are both at peace and in power is within compassion. Is that something that I, I don't know how to teach that? I know the end result. Like this is this is the end of the equation, and I'm going to spend my whole life figuring out how to put together the formula so I can teach it. Yeah. Um, and then the other piece of that, which we talked about earlier, was truth and justice and ma'at, and always staying in your truth because it's so it's written about ma'at, which is the goddess of truth and justice in ancient Egypt. She was created to maintain order and peace, and when you die, she weighs her heart against a feather, and if your heart is lighter than a feather, then you're granted the afterlife. So it's written about her that it is true that evil will gain success, but the strength of truth is that it lasts. And so I'm constantly checking my decision-making, checking what projects I take on to make sure that I'm doing the projects and working with the people that I want to work with from a place of truth and integrity and for good reasons, like for really good, pure intentions. Uh, If I ever am questioning those things, I won't work on the project and I won't work with the person. So those are two things that are somewhat intertwined that I, to my grave, will try to figure out how to teach. Awesome. I love that. Well, I appreciate you not questioning my intentions. <laughs> and I appreciate you coming on for the third time, baby. Nailed it. Um, we did it. Nailed it. Thank you. 